Well, over the past seven weeks, the past seven weeks in this series, we've considered Jesus' supernatural power. That's what a miracle is. Let's always remind ourselves of that, that, that miracles are not, uh, the way the Bible uses the word miracle is not like people in our society uses the word miracle. We're not talking about throwing a 50-yard or 60-yard touchdown pass. We're not talking about a pilot being able to land a plane in the Hudson River. Those are not miracles, and those are nice and great and amazing things, but they're not supernatural. Uh, when we use the word miracle, when the Bible uses the word miracle, we're talking about things that are supernatural, things that can only be done with a direct intervention of God. The birth of a beautiful baby does not even qualify as a miracle. That is something natural. We're talking about things supernatural. Jesus did things supernatural. It is important to use the word miracle properly because when we minimize the word, when we use the word to refer to everything under the sun, when we use the word to even refer to the vaccines that have been made, you know what we really do? We minimize what Jesus did. We minimize the kind of stuff he did in his ministry. Jesus did legitimate miracles, things that none of us, none of us have seen in our lives today. We've seen over the past few weeks how Jesus demonstrated supernatural power over matter. He multiplied food and fed thousands of people. He gave sight to the blind. He showed power over nature. He calmed storms. He healed people with the terrible skin disease of leprosy. He healed people with deafness, muteness. He even raised people from the dead. He even brought people back from Hades. He resurrected people. Over the past few weeks, we've seen Jesus demonstrate power over all these things. But this morning in this study, we're going to talk about some power that Jesus demonstrated that we really haven't talked about so far in this series. And that is we're going to talk about Jesus' power over species. Species, animals, however you want to say that. But particularly in this lesson, we're going to talk about Jesus' power over fish. Over fish. This is something that maybe we don't think about a lot when it comes to the miracles of Jesus, how Jesus demonstrated power over the creatures, over animals, over the various species. And so let me ask this question. Raise your hand this morning if you like to fish. Anybody here like to go fishing? Well, I should have known that people in Arizona like to, <laughs> like to go fish. You like to go camping. You like to go fishing. You know, I fished for the first time in my life two years ago. I'll be 38, um, 38 in March. Mitch, I'm getting old. I'm going to be 38 in March. I'm getting old, Mitch. Um, <laughs> so, so I went fishing for the first time when I was about 36 or so. And my whole life I wanted to go fishing. My grandfather who raised me would tell me he was going to take me fishing. Never went fishing. Nobody ever took me fishing. And it was just some kind of dream I had. So I, I mentioned that in a Bible class when I was preaching in Tennessee. And one of the deacons came up to me afterwards. He says, uh, his name is Billy. He said, I'm going to take you fishing. Go, we're going to go fishing. So he, he kept the promise. We went and, and we uh, fished on the Tennessee River. And uh, he had this spot he would go to, and he says there would be times he'd catch 30, 40 fish easily. Well, when I went with him, we caught like three fish. So I guess I just totally messed up whatever luck he had. But uh, we, we sat out there on the boat and for the first time, you know, cast, uh, cast some bait out in the river and cast a rod and, and waited and caught a couple of fish. 
And uh, I guess the thing I learned from that is not so much the catching of fish as it is the mental relaxation. Just to be out there on the water, it relaxes your mind, right? Just something calm about it. And that's really the enjoyable part of it. Uh, and, and you get to talk with your friends and, and really kind of just relax a little bit. So can somebody tell me real quick, where are some, where are some great places, just kind of one at a time? Can anybody raise your hand? Tell me where's a great place to fish in, in Arizona, maybe even somewhere around here. Anybody know of some spots? In the water. Well, besides just the <laughs> water. Good one, Lance, good one. So specific places. Yeah, anybody know? Samantha. The canals, really? I've actually seen people do that too. That's entered, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Only in Arizona, you gotta, you gotta go to a canal to go and get fish, right? Uh, anyone else know of some spots you like to go? Some spots maybe you like to go, yes. What, what is it? Mason? Basin. Hasten, I'm messing it all up. Never heard of it. How far is it away from here? About an hour or so? Oh, Payson. Payson. Okay. Anybody else have one real quick? Yes, dear. Park Lagoons usually have. Park Lagoons? Mesa has places you can go fish. Yeah. Mike, do you have one? Yeah, outside of Payson, there's a place called Woods Canyon. Yeah. Very nice place. See, y'all know the spot. See, in our community where we live, it's Sun Groves. There's a spot, a little, little body of water where people fish. The only reason I'm bringing that up is because if you like to fish, you know the spots to go get it. And if you're a really good fisher, you know where to go to get a lot of fish. You know the spots. Well, in the time of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, uh, it, it, fishing, even to this day in Israel, fishing is a big deal. It is a really big deal. And the great place to fish in the time of Jesus, and even to this day, is the Sea of Galilee. We've talked about the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is a significant body of water that is emphasized in the New Testament, is emphasized in the ministry of Jesus. Remember, on the Sea of Galilee, we, we studied about Jesus calming a violent storm on that sea. Remember, he walked on that sea. He called several of his apostles from that sea. Remember, in, in the Gospels, particularly if you look at John 21, in John 21, we see clearly that at least seven at least seven of the apostles seem to have been fishermen. And when we say they were fishermen, we don't just mean they did it for a hobby. We mean they did it for a living. They were professionals. Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John seem to have been partners with Peter and Andrew in the fishing business. They may have even worked for Zebedee, who was the father of James and John. Uh, James and John had a daddy named Zebedee, and he seemed to have owned a fishing uh, business. Thomas seems to have been a fisherman. Nathaniel, remember who Jesus says, I saw you under the, under the fig tree. And John too, he seems to have been a fisherman. When I was in Israel, I was able to see uh, how this is done to a degree. This is an example of a boat. Uh, this is a, I think this may have even been the, uh, a similar boat that, that I was on on the Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee. And uh, when men fish, in the Sea of Galilee, and this is how they would have done it in the time of Jesus, they cast a net into the sea. Remember how Jesus taught that in parables? Casting the kingdom of heaven is like a net cast into the sea. Well, that is something people would have been very familiar with. You cast your net into the sea, 
and 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 you wait and then you you bring back whatever and a lot of times it's junk but uh but this is how they this is how they would have done it this is how the apostles would have fished it wouldn't have been like you you do when you go out and you know you cast a you put a worm on a hook or whatever and you cast it out and and into the water no they going they're going to use a net they're going to use the net. And this is how they make their money. This, is what, this was their business. Now, there were three miracles. I want to talk with you today about three miracles that Jesus performed with fish. The first one's in Luke chapter 5. Will you read with me Luke 5, 1 through 11? Luke 5, 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. That is, uh, many of you know by now, that's a trans translation that, that I'm just accustomed to. That's the one I use. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were, and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he was finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let your nets. See, notice that let your nets let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners and the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats. So that they began to sink. But when Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For amazement has seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners. Notice, they were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catchers of men. When they brought their nets, or brought their boats, I'm sorry, to land, they left everything. Notice that everything in this context, we're talking about their profession. They left everything and they followed Jesus. So let's break down what's going on here just a little bit. Let's talk about the circumstances, the context of this miracle. First, notice how the chapter opens up with Jesus teaching. He's getting very popular by this time. OK, he's teaching the word of God. That's what we see in verse one. And it's a crowd of people there and they are pressing him. Do you see that? They are pressing Jesus. They're all around him. They're violating social distance rules here, okay? And it is so bad that he has to get into a boat. And he has to get the boat away from the land. And he's going to use the boat as a pulpit. Jesus uses the boat as a pulpit here. He can't teach effectively on the land. The people are too close to him. They're, they're touching on him. They're pressing against him. He gets in a boat. He gets it away from the land. And he teaches from the boat. I want you to picture that in your mind. He actually teaches from the Apostle Peter's boat. Peter is working on this day. He's doing his nine to five. He's got on, he's on the job. And Jesus hops in his boat and he uses his boat as a pulpit. He has Peter take the boat into the deep water. After he's done teaching the word of God to the people, he says, Peter, I want you to take the boat out into the deep section, into the deep section of the water. Peter does it. And then Jesus tells him, after they get to the deep portion of the water, I want you to put your net out. Put your net out. And Peter says, wait a minute. I've done this all night. I've been working all night. I did the graveyard shift. I caught nothing. 
So you're telling me that, that I'm going to catch something now? This will, be, this, this will kind of be like me going to, on Dale's an engineer, me going to his company, going to, on his job, and trying to tell Dale how to effectively do his job when I don't have any experience in being an engineer. I couldn't tell any, Dale anything about how to do his job when he's got 30, 40 years on the job. So that's how Peter's probably feeling. I do this for a living. So you're going to tell me how to fish? Well, okay. And you got to give Peter some credit here. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's probably thinking this is ridiculous. But he still does it, doesn't he? He still obeys the Lord. He casts the net out. And even though he caught nothing the night before, now what happens? He not only catches fish. The Bible says he catches a great quantity of fish. He catches a huge load of fish. In fact, it is so bad that the Bible says that, 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 that Peter had to get some help here. The, the fish were filling up the boat. He had to get some other people to come and help him bring all these fish in. And it, the Bible says boats. So there are multiple boats here, it seems. And the fish are so many that the boats are sinking. That's a pretty good day, isn't it? He's going to make some good money off that. So, so this right here, even though on the surface in Peter's mind initially it seems ridiculous, I do this for a living. I'm a professional. You're telling me that you're going to show me how to fish, and once he does what Jesus says, the boat has so many fish in it, the boats do, that they start sinking. Lance, you had a comment, sir. I saw your hand up. Go right ahead, sir. You know, I think that's, I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's important for us to bring up this morning how this is not Peter's first encounter with Jesus. This is not the first encounter. They have met before, and Peter had already seen the Lord do miracles. So even though Peter at this, and, and I want to make this clear, so, so just follow me here. This is Peter, this, is, this episode is important in the ministry of Peter or in the life of Peter because this is like the official time where he's going all in. You know what I'm saying? Where he's like, I'm leaving the fishing business. I'm going all the way with Jesus right here. This is not his first encounter with Jesus, though. This is just the moment where he's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm all in as an apostle now. I'm all in as a preacher for Jesus. So I'm glad you brought that up because I actually did want to make that point, that, that this is not the first time Peter has seen the power of Jesus, and that may have been based on the evidence prior what leads him to still trust him and do what he says. So that, that's a good point. Swallow his, pride. Swallow, his, swallow his pride, absolutely. So let's talk about Peter a little bit. I, I want y'all's help on this, on this question. And it's in your workbook. So, so clearly a miracle has taken place here, okay? <laughs> this is a miracle. So there's a lot of fish here. And this ain't lucky. This ain't because Jesus is just some great fisher, uh, you know, some expert fisherman. This is Jesus controlling the fish. You, you understand that, right? So how does Peter respond? Because Peter clearly knows it's a miracle. Yes, sir, Brother Gary. I'd like to point out that uh, yes, sir. we learned in other places that when Jesus was teaching, people were very much affected by his uh, as 
Absolutely. How can you not be affected by the by the preaching of Jesus? Uh, so how would y'all say he responded? How did because the text is very specific. I want you to look at verses eight down to verse 11. So follow verses eight down to verse 11 of that chapter very carefully. How did Peter respond to the miracle? There, there should be at least three or four answers you have there. OK, so you got humility. So let's put those both together. Let's put them both together. You're right. He falls down on his knees and he says, I'm a terrible sinner. That's reverence and humility for Jesus. And isn't that how we should always respond to Jesus when, when we're affected by his teaching, when we're affected by even the miracles we've studied? It should make us realize just how unworthy we are. We're unworthy of Jesus. We're unworthy of anything he has to offer. And that's what it does to Peter. I think here, and I want y'all to really catch this, okay? We see one of the great qualities of Peter. We may see why Jesus picked this man. This man, even though he's very, uh, you know, he speaks, you know, before he, uh, before he thinks sometimes, you know, we, call, we, we always talk about that. But Peter's got a good heart. We see that. He's a humble man. And doesn't God always give favor to the humble? Show favor to the humble. So Peter says, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm not worthy of you. That's the exact response that, that he should have done. Yes, sir, Brother Mike. I'm just putting this together with Brian's lesson this morning about talking about it. And if you back up a little bit, Peter says, hey, I've been preaching all night. I'm in trouble. <laughs> One of the things, though, that we miss in the story, and, and, and it took me a while to catch it, is that they were cleaning their nets. They were done. Yep. If he's going to drop his nets again, guess what they're going to do again? <laughs> Got to load them back up. Going, I've done this all night. My nets are clean. I've brought you out here so you can see. And you want me to go to that's an excellent point. When it happens, as it does, Peter realizes the grace. I don't know that faith came at that point in time, but it, but it shows I'm going to follow you because whatever you have, you've got more than what I've got. You know, think about all the work Jesus had to put him through to get him out there. Because <laughs> the Bible says hey, they're cleaning their nets. They're done. You ever worked a long, hard day and you clean it up now? Last thing you want to do is lay it all out again. You know, you're done. And he probably is thinking this is a waste of time. I'm going to have to do this all over again. Still no fish. That's a good point. I want you all to remember that. that that's a, that's a, there's a reason why Luke is bringing all that up in the text. So, so I want you all just to catch this real quick with me, okay? You got humility, verse 8. You have amazement, verse 9. Look again at verse number 9. Verse 9, the Bible says, for amazement has seized him. He's in awe. And isn't that how the psalm says, the psalmist always tell us to respond to the power of God is in awe. We sing a song, standing in awe. We, awe, wonder, amazement at the power of God. Impressed. You know, we are impressed so often as human beings by some of the just, some of the most kind of pathetic things. And, and we're not really impressed by God. And what, you know, we'll be impressed by the rocket ship that goes up in the outer space, but we won't be impressed by the outer space or the God who made the man who had the brain to make the rocket ship. That makes sense? This is, you gotta, we have to be in awe of God. The awe and wonder of God is all around us. And, and so Peter is in amazement. And then thirdly, verse 11 says that when they got back to the land, they, and this is referencing James and John also, they left everything. They left their professions and they went all in with Jesus. They followed him. They got 
immersed in the ministry at this point. So you have humility, amazement, leaving everything to follow Jesus. Jesus said that he was going to make them fisher of men. And that's really what's going on here. This whole thing here was to really demonstrate what he was going to or try to emphasize what he was going to make them. You're fishermen now, but I'm going to make you different kind of fishermen. You're going to leave this fishing business to go into another kind of fishing business. And the fishing business you're going to go into is the people fishing business, going for lost souls. Brother Greg, and then we need to move on. Go ahead, Brother Greg. Yes. Yeah, I missed that one, Brother Greg. I missed that. I'm sorry about that. But the idea, the implication of the Lord's words there, do not fear, is he was afraid. Uh, and it reminds me of Luke 7 also when Jesus raised the young man from the dead. And it says in verse 16 of Luke 7 that fear gripped them all. John 20, well, or John, I think it's John 20, when the guards went to arrest Jesus, they fell back. The power of Jesus gripped people with fear. Because if he can do this, what else can he do? Uh, that's exactly right. Even when he calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, fear, there it is again. Uh, absolutely. So let me just say something real quick about being a fisher of men, okay? That's really what, what's, what's what we need to really remember here. Jesus is going to make these men different kind of fishermen. They're going to stay in the fishing business. It's just going to be a more important kind of fishing business. It's going to be a, a business where they're going to take the bait that God gives them, and the bait is what? The Word of God. It's the gospel. They're going to cast it into the world. That's the sea. And they're going to be converting people, and they're going to be bringing the, the fish, those kind of fish, people to God. That's exactly what Peter started doing in Acts 2. That's exactly what he does in Acts 10. That's exactly what Paul was. The question is, are we, are we fishers of men? Are we fishers of men? Look, all we had to do, and, I, and if you don't remember anything from this class, remember this. When it comes to being a fisher of men, all you got to do is have the right bait. Okay? Just have the right bait. The bait is the gospel. You'll see so many churches using the wrong kind of baits that they want to use the the, the, the basketball gyms and the karate and all these different things to try to catch fish. But God says, you only, I only got one kind of bait I need you to use here, and it's my word. You bring people into my word because if you use anything else than the word of God to, to bring people, you're not truly converting them. You convert people with the gospel. So we got the right bait. We just got to trust the bait. We got to cast it. And whatever happens after that, that's God's business, right? That's to the glory of God. We'll say it again, sir. Not optional, absolutely. Well, we know that because Matthew 28, Jesus says, I go in all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. We've all been called to be fishers of men. So, so that's absolutely the case. So I just want you to really remember that. Okay, I need to speed up just a little bit if y'all don't mind. I'm going to go through the next two. I'm not going to spend too, as much time. I just really like this. So we hadn't really talked about this one yet. That's why I wanted to spend a little time here, okay? Uh, the next one is paying taxes. Man, you like paying taxes? I don't like paying taxes. And if you say you do, then you ain't. There's probably some other things you ain't telling the truth about, too. Uh, nobody likes that. We got to pay taxes, but nobody enjoys it, okay? In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, I want to read this real quick, and then I'll make a few comments. In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, 
we find another episode in the ministry of Jesus. It says, and this one has to do with Peter again. All these are going to have Peter in it that we're looking at. When they, came, when they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drama tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the drama, two drama tax, a drachma tax, I'm sorry. And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. Highlight the word first. That's important. Peter doesn't say he doesn't talk first here. Jesus does. What do you think, Simon, from whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax from their sons or from strangers? When Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, we don't want to offend anybody, go to the sea, throw in a hook, take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you're going to find a shekel. Take that and give it to them. For you and me. So Jesus is going to pay Peter's taxes for him too. So there's a question here I want to ask to start this out. Jesus talks about the sons being exempt from pain. And this tax here is, a, is the temple tax. This is a temple tax here. There are all kind of taxes that the Jews had to deal with at this time. Uh, and it's interesting how this particular miracle is only recorded by one person in the gospel. It's recorded by Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. That's important, okay? So Matthew's going to give you a tax story here. This is, this, this is something that was significant to him. So there are all kind of taxes that the Jews had to deal with, and one of them was a temple tax. And Jesus says, he tells Peter that the sons are exempt from the temple tax. Why are the sons exempt from the temple tax in this illustration Jesus is using here? Why would the sons be exempt? Yes, it's because of the father. Jesus' implication is, I don't have to pay taxes. I'm the son. I own this. That's the point. So Peter's impulsiveness is seen again here. Peter doesn't tell the truth here. He does not tell the truth. He's caught off guard. You ever been caught off guard by somebody and you get nervous and you tell a fib? You know what I'm saying? You ever been in that situation before? You've been in that situation. You've been in that situation. And that's what happens with Peter. They come to him and say, does your, does your teacher pay the tax? Jesus hadn't paid this tax yet. But Peter says what? Yes. No, that's not what happened. You're wrong, Peter. You, 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 there's your impulsiveness again. It comes out all through the gospel if you look at it carefully. It's all over the place. This is a religious tax we're dealing with here. And Jesus makes the point, says, I'm the son of the king of the house. My father, the temple is the father's house. Jesus, the son of the father. I don't have to pay this tax. I'm exempt from it because I'm the son of the king. But so I don't offend anybody, you know, I'll, I'll pay the tax. I'm not paying it because I have to. I'm paying it so I won't offend anyone for the sake of influence here. That's the point there. Now, I'm going to go back there. There are two miracles on display here. The first one is obvious. Don't go, don't go to the second one on me yet. Give me the obvious one first. The obvious one is when Peter goes out into the sea, Jesus says, you're going to go out there, you're going to catch a fish, and inside the fish is going to be what? Money. Wouldn't that be a great world to live in today when you just go out and fish got all kind of money in them? That'd be great. You don't need a stimulus uh, checked in. You got fish with money in them. So, so Jesus, 
Jesus says, you go out in the fish. Jesus, doesn't, you know, he don't, he, don't, he don't go in his pockets. He said, the money's going to be out there in the fish. They go in the fish, and there's enough money to pay the tax for him and Peter. That's the first miracle, verse 27. The fish has money in it. Jesus put the money in the fish. But the second one is not as obvious. You got to look deeper to see it. It's the fact that when Jesus or when Peter came to Jesus, he already knew about the conversation. That's why the scripture says Jesus first said something. There's a reason why Matthew is saying that. Peter doesn't come and, and say to Jesus, hey, I just told a lie that you paid the tax. He doesn't say that. Jesus lets him already know what happened. Already know about the conversation. So he starts it by saying this illustration about who's exempt. That's another miracle. How Jesus knows everything that's going on at all times. You see that? He knows everything that's going on, even while he was on the earth. He told Nathaniel, I, knew you, I saw you under the fig tree. So, I mean, I can't do justice to the power of Jesus in, 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 with my words or my teaching. I can't do justice to it because there's all kind of power he has that's beyond our comprehension. It just, it just is. So, so you got a couple of miracles going on there. That's another fish miracle, money in the fish, and then Jesus displaying, displaying his, his knowledge. One more I want to show you, then we got to close. John 21. John 21, then I'll give you a chance. You may have a few comments you want to make. John 21. Won't read this one due to time, but I do want to talk about it. Now, this here in the context of John 21 is after the resurrection, okay? This is after the resurrection of Jesus. This is actually here in John 21, I believe it's the third appearance Jesus makes to the apostles. Uh, he made the first appearance to them on the first day of the week. when he, The day he was raised, he appeared to them that evening. Then he appeared to them again with Thomas present because Thomas wasn't present the first time. And then this is, I think about a week later or so, maybe something like that. This is the third appearance. This occurs on the Sea of Tiberias, which is another name for Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret, right? I was actually able to go, this is the Sea of Galilee behind me, and there's a spot in Israel where they believe, and there's no way to know, okay, but they believe this is the spot where Jesus appeared to the apostles when they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee a week after his resurrection. You can Google this later, and I say it later, not now, but you can Google this spot. It's a church there, which is, they're all over the place in Israel. The Catholics just have totally infiltrated it. But it's called the Church of the Apostles. The Church of the Apostles is in this area here, and it's believed they, they put a church there because they think this is where Jesus appeared to seven of his apostles while they were fishing. No way to know that, it's just tradition. Okay, so let's talk about this just a little bit. You got seven of the apostles go out fishing. You read about that in Luke 21. It's Peter, James, John, uh, I, think, uh, I think Nathaniel's present and a couple of others. They're fishing and they fish all night. And what happens after they fish all night? They don't catch anything. Doesn't that remind you of something else that we studied today? Same thing, isn't it? They don't catch anything. The Lord appears to them. Now, at first, they recognize our Lord. They don't recognize him at first. I believe, and this is a whole different study. I don't want to go down a rabbit trail here, but I think there was something very different about Jesus after he was raised. 
There was something different about him. This is why he was unrecognizable at times to his followers. I can't put, pinpoint that exactly, what that difference was, but I think there was something different about Jesus. So they're fishing, and in their mind at first, it's just some random guy on the beach. It's just some random guy that's telling, you know, that they see, and he tells them to do something. What does he tell them to do? Verse, yeah, verse number eight says, uh, I'm sorry, let me get that. Uh, verse six, I've put the wrong verse on my notes there. Verse, verse six, he said to them, at first in verse five, he said, did you have any fish? And they said, no. They don't know who he is at this point. And he said, cast the net on the right side. So on the other side. And you'll find a catch. So they did it. I mean, they're listening to a stranger at this point. Maybe he's some fishing expert. I don't know, they think. And they then were not able to haul it in because of a great number of fish. Now, at that point, it starts clicking to them, clicking with them who this is. But Jesus tells them, put the net on the other side, on the other side. And they catch a great number when they did that. Now, let me ask you this. I know this is kind of a simple question, but I want to ask it anyway. What's the difference? What's the difference between what happened for the last few hours? They catch nothing, but now they're catching all kind of stuff. What's the difference? Jesus is the difference. Jesus is the, and he's always the difference. He's always the difference between blessing and cursing. He's always the difference between success and failure. Jesus is the difference. So I, I want to talk with you here about some commonalities and some differences between the miracle of Luke 5 that we studied earlier with Peter and this miracle with Jesus and Peter and six other apostles. There's some commonalities here I think we need to emphasize. First, these two miracles, and remember, we're comparing Luke 5 and John 21. Luke 5 and John 21. The miracles, the miraculous insight of the Lord is revealed. That is, when I, when I say that, I mean the Lord knows exactly where to cast the net. He knows exactly where to tell them to, to put the net, where they're going to catch an abundance of fish. His, his supernatural knowledge is on display in both, of these, in both of these cases. Both cases, the disciples fish all night. They catch nothing. And in both cases, after obeying Jesus, they then catch an enormous amount. There's an enormous amount. Do you see the similarities between the two? Now, there's some differences, too. And these are trivial differences, but it's, it's kind of interesting to talk about them. First, there's a difference in time. One happens very early in the ministry of Jesus. One happens when Jesus is first calling Peter to be an apostle. And the other happens after Peter has been an apostle for a few years. And it's after the Lord has been raised. So there's a difference in time here. There's a difference in the size of the catch. In John 21, there's a specific number that is mentioned of these fish. How many did they catch in John 21? 153. There's a specific number. That's, that's a good catch still. But in Luke, is there a specific number mentioned in Luke 5? Just, it just looks to me, and, and you may disagree with this, but it looks to me like it's, it's a bigger catch because it's filling up a couple of boats, and it's sinking the boats. This is a big catch, and, and, but the nets don't break here, the Bible says, does it? They don't break. In the other case, the nets started breaking. So, so Luke 5, when Jesus first calling Peter to be an apostle, he's, he's doing a little bit more, it seems, in, in that case. And then, thirdly, there's a difference in when the disciples knew it was Jesus speaking to them. In Luke 5, Peter knew the whole time it was Jesus. 
This time, it's not until after the miracle that they realize that's Jesus out there. And Peter's so excited about it. Remember Peter, you know, the Peter who always doing before he thinks. What does he do? Throws his clothes on. He jumps in the water, starts swimming. And the rest of them say, we're just going to ride the boat to the shore. But in that, and wouldn't we expect that from Peter? That's exactly what we would expect from Peter. So let me give you a few lessons to think about here, and then I'm going to close. Four things to think about. First, God, when we look at Jesus, God clearly has power over the species. He has power over creatures, animals, fish. And you, this is not the first time we see this. Think about the Bible story. Why didn't those lions eat Daniel in the lion's den? Why didn't they eat him? Because God took away their ability to do that. The plagues, where did the locusts come from? Where did the frogs come from? That God sent them in. Elisha, they were making fun of him because he was bald. Don't make fun of a bald man of God. Because when you do that, God going to send some bears in. He sent the bears in. Balaam, the talking donkey. The serpents that went into Israel's camp when they had committed immorality. God, this is the difference between humans and, and animals when it comes to God. God never takes away, he never controls us. I make my decisions, God's never going to control me. He does that with animals, though, in the Bible. He brings the fish in. He shuts the lion's mouth. He brings the bears out. That's the difference between humans and animals, the free moral agency. You see that? Secondly, faith is necessary to catch fish. We talked about being fisher of men. Well, if we're going to be effective fishers of men, we got to have faith. We see that with Peter. When Peter cast the net in faith, when the apostles cast the net in faith, they caught a big load. You got to have faith. Thirdly, obeying Jesus leads to blessings. Every time they obeyed Jesus and put the net where he told them to put it, what happened? Blessing. And the same happened with us. When we obey Jesus, we're going to be blessed spiritually. We're going to be blessed with everything God says we're going to get. And then fourthly, Jesus' power demands appropriate responses. And we talked about those responses. Fear, reverence, awe, and most importantly, obedience. That's what we see. Brother Gary, yes, sir. Yes, he cooked breakfast for him. Absolutely. Now that, that's a good point. Brother Lance, then we're going to close. Um, there, there's several ways that it's discussed in the, in the passage, but in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 20, it says the animals will come to you. There it is again. So God sent the animals. In some of the ways it's described there, though, it makes it sound like Noah had to go out and get them, but in reality, that verse clarifies that God chose what animals Absolutely. Good point, everybody. Thank you so much for studying with me this morning. Let's get ready to worship God in our next part of the service. Thank you.